Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and this is Stuff You Should Know, the podcast. Greetings, Earthlings. Hello, everyone. Brains, brains, brains. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's my intro. Uh... That you didn't do it ten times, though. Oh, no one wants to hear that. And we're not going to even talk about ten brain myths. We, uh, even though the, this episode is called Ten Myths About the Brain. Yeah, if you're new to the show and you've never heard us do one of our famous top tens, <laughs> then you probably don't know. We rarely cover all ten. Yeah. We will tease you a bit with six to eight and then say, go read the article if you want the other ones. Exactly. And in this case, we've actually covered a couple of the things before. Right. So there's no point in rehashing. Exactly. So that I guess I just felt the need to explain that. You laid the ground rules pretty well, man. So a top ten that is really not ten. Um, so we we have brains. Yes. In our heads, mm-hmm. uh, and I think most people walk around feeling like they have some ideas about the brain, some understanding. Um, but it turns out that some of them are wrong. There's myths out there. Yeah. And some of them have kind of interesting, weird origins too. Yeah, I thought this was a pretty cool article because we've covered the brain a lot, and it's one of our favorite, favorite, favorite subjects. Yeah. So it's kind of cool to root out some of these things that a couple of these I thought were true. Well, well for example, like um, your brain is gray. I thought that to be true. Well, and it's understandable why, too, because it, people call the brain gray matter. Sure. Um, apparently, Hercule Poirot, <laughs> well, I just said that like a dog. No, that was, that was right. Uh, That's it, an odd name to have to say, though. Yeah, it is. Hercule, especially, please. Especially from my tongue. Marble mouth. Uh, he, he used to call his brains his uh, gray cells. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, everybody thinks the brain is gray. And it is gray. There are very much um, lots of uh, gray areas yeah. called gray matter. But there's other colors to the brain, too. Yeah, this kind of knocked me out because I had no idea that the brain was also white, black, and red. Mm-hmm. Like our Georgia Bulldogs and Atlanta Falcons. Terry's right. laughing in there. Everybody's brains walking around <laughs> a bulldog fan. So, like you said, there is a lot of gray matter, uh, cells, neurons mm-hmm. connecting to each other. There's also white matter. Well, that's the stuff that connects them. Well, the white matter is is the nerve fibers, right? Right. That, okay. So it connects like your gray matter regions to one another. Gotcha. So that makes sense. Yeah. But what about the substantia nigra? Mm-hmm. Latin for black substance. Yeah. That it is part of your brain is black. I would think that would be scary. Yeah. Like you it's would, dead. You'd think so. But the uh, that, that region of the brain, um, it has to do with motor control, like fine control. Yeah. And that's the, they think that possibly that's where Parkinson's damage comes from. Ah, uh, okay. Or Parkinson's disease is located there. Right. And the reason it's black is because of neuromelanin, uh-huh. which is a pigment. And I was very curious why your brain would need any kind of pigment whatsoever. Yeah. Did you get to that? Yeah. It turns out they don't know. Oh. But they think that it um, basically takes, um, it removes heavy metals from your bloodstream from that area. Mm-hmm. And that they they also think that it has to do with, there's a, a adrenochrome. Do you remember that from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? Yes. So that stuff is real. And your brain produces it as a byproduct of some of its normal processes. And we would all be totally psychotic, apparently, from this stuff if it wasn't for neuromelanin, they think, basically huh. getting rid of it. So we depend on that color. Well, yeah, that pigment, at least. Right. Wow. 
Not for coloring in this case, but yeah. for some other stuff. Yeah, I couldn't. The reason we think gray, besides people calling it gray matter, is because usually when we see a brain, it's floating in a jar. Yeah. And it has been turned gray from the formaldehyde and stuff. Yeah. But uh, I couldn't find any f- kind of picture of like an active brain with all these colors. Yeah. I guess that's impossible. Unless they just, you know. Peel your skull off and take a picture real quick. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure those exist. Why couldn't I find a picture? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they do brain surgery, you know, with yeah. a healthy living brain. I, I didn't brain. look super hard, though. Yeah. That's the secret. So there there you go. Red, black, white, and gray, your brain. All right. Number two, uh, listening to Mozart makes you smarter. Yeah, this one I thought was proven. But I did, too. not. Because Baby Einstein, if you've never heard of that, that is uh, parents are living this stuff. Mm-hmm. Big, big, multi-million dollar industry of packaging classical music and uh, poetry and stuff like that mm-hmm. to play not just to your baby and toddler and growing child, but uh, for your fetus as well, even. Yeah. The Mozart effect is what it's called. Right. Um, your and baby's going to be smarter. Apparently, the Mozart effect is trademarked by a guy named Dan Campbell, yeah. who basically um, puts together Mozart and CDs and books and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um the thing is, is this Mozart effect was it was first noted in the fifties, I think. Yeah. By an ear, nose, and throat doctor named Albert Tomatus. Yep. And he said that tomato. He, you say tomatoes. I say tomatoes. <laughs> he said that um, the his patients who were struggling with speech and auditory disorders um, showed improvement when they listened to Mozart yeah. specifically. And then in the nineties. Somebody else apparently conducted a test at um, University of California, Irvine, that showed that people's IQ scores improved after listening to Mozart. And then the Mozart effect was born. Well, so based on these studies, I would think that it does make you smarter. Mm-hmm. So is that true? Uh, apparently not necessarily, no. Because these are all myths. <laughs> yeah, the, the, that UC Irvine study in particular was kind of taken out of context, I I get the impression. Yeah. And um, they were saying, well, we never said it makes you smarter. We just said that it improved people's ability on the specific temporal spatial test. Yeah. This one specific thing. We didn't say it makes you smarter. Right. That's the popular media that did that. So things got a little twisted around over time. Mm-hmm. And since then, they have not been able to duplicate these uh, results from that original test. Yeah. So it turns out it probably won't hurt you any. Right. But listening to classical music is not going to actually make you smarter. But they have found that um, learning to play music yeah. d- it can do a lot of stuff. It, um, it improves concentration, self-confidence, coordination. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned people playing Mozart uh-huh. to get the Mozart effect for their fetuses. Yeah. Um, have you ever heard the one that you get a new wrinkle in your brain every time you learn something? <laughs> I knew that wasn't true. Yeah, it sounds a little bit like an angel gets his wings every time a bell rings. <laughs> oh, totally. Uh, that is not true. But there are some cool little factoids in here, uh, one of which is that by the time you reach 40 weeks old, mm-hmm. You have the same brain. It will get larger, of mm-hmm. course, but you have all the same little folds and crevices called uh, Jiri and Sulci mm-hmm. um, all folded up together. And the reason it's folded up together is because our brain is large and the skull isn't. So right. it needed to scrunch itself in there as we evolved. And I think if you unfolded all that, the brain would be the size of a tennis court. 
No, no, that's the uh, intestines. Right, a pillowcase. Right. Okay, that's still pretty big. Yeah, it's huge. Um, and that's why we're so smart. Um, which kind of leads us to a, another um, another myth. All right. That humans have the biggest brain, which is not the case. Which makes sense to me. Uh, I thought this one was pretty cool, actually. Um, a lot of people walking around think that because we're so smart, we must have the biggest brain. Yeah. But if you if you think about it, no, a whale's going to have a bigger brain than a human brain. That is true. Because whales are enormous. Yep. Our uh, brain's uh, about three pounds. Yeah. A whale, sperm whale's about, what, 17 pounds. Yeah. Which is a huge brain. Yeah. So why aren't sperm whales running the planet? The reason why, it doesn't really matter the size of the brain. It's the size of the brain to the rest of the body. That ratio is what matters. Yeah, I thought that was super interesting. They they use dolphins as an example because a dolphin's brain is about the same size of a, of a human's brain. Mm-hmm. Dolphins are super smart. Right. But an average dolphin weighs about 350 pounds. Uh, I don't know. Does it say how much the average adult weighs? It's not 350 pounds. I would say, depending on whether it's male or female, anywhere between 100 to 200 pounds. There, there's whether not average Detroit. somewhere in there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Uh, and then they also go on to name some other animals, which was just sort of cute to think about. A, a beagle's brain is 2.5 ounces. Mm-hmm. Cute little beagle. They're very cute. And uh, a sparrow has a brain that weighs less than half an ounce. Right. That's adorable. So again, though, it's the it's the brain size to body size ratio. And in humans, it's 1 to 50. Um, most other mammals, it's 1 to 180. Yeah. Um, and then in birds, it's 1 to 220, typically. Yeah, but we do have uh, humans uh, compared to mammals. We have the largest cerebral cortex, right? Which is really where, like, that's the money section. It's also the newest part of our brain. It's on the outermost surface, yeah. um, and that's where all the higher functions are carried out. And that's what really separates us. That's why we run the planet. Otherwise, we'd just be orangutans. Um, what about subliminal messages that we learn from those? Uh, that is a falsehood, sir. I guess that's the spoiler. All of these are false. Yeah. But, um, well, they're myths. Yeah, they're myths. Um, but back in the 1950s, there was a, a marketing executive, a researcher named James Vickery, who, uh, did, you know, everyone always heard, you know, you go to the movies and they flash up uh, Coca-Cola and popcorn. I thought that was a myth. I did too, but that was true. They did that in 1957. Yeah. There's a, there's a still in this article. From the movie Picnic, starring Kim Novak. (laughs) That's awesome. And over Kim's face, it says, hungry? Eat popcorn. And it's from a frame of the movie. (laughs) So that's one three thousandth of a second. And um, Vickery said, you know what? Uh, Sales increased in the theater by 18% for uh, popcorn. Uh, I'm sorry, for drinks. And by 57% for popcorn, thanks to these messages. Yeah, and everybody said, okay, well, we're very interested in... Basically, psychologically manipulating everybody into buying our products. So yeah. they started putting that stuff in jingles and in um, movies and television. Yeah. And um, they found pretty quickly that it actually doesn't have an effect. Yeah. Well, they, they banned it, first of all. The FCC banned it in mm-hmm. 1974 because right. they did think it worked at the time. Oh, okay. Um, but then later on, it turns out that James Vickery just lied about the results. Yeah. Not true at all. He's like, hey, I was a sales guy, not a scientist. What did you expect? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, like you said, the uh, FCC banned subliminal advertising in general, which was a good move because if it did work, that's not okay. No. But a lot of people still think that it's still around and that it actually does work. 
Yes, but uh, it is not true, and they even tested this uh, in Canada, evidently on TV. Mm-hmm. They flashed the message, call now, during a broadcast, and I guess nobody called. Yeah. Maybe they didn't give a number. It was a sad, right. <laughs> it was People a are sad just like, experiment. I feel like I need to call somebody, but I don't get it. I wondered, though, like if if they were studying the wrong thing. Like, call now makes sense. Right. But what if it has to be much more explicit? Like, hungry? Eat popcorn. You can eat popcorn. Like maybe that would make you grab a bite of popcorn if it were in your lap. Right. Maybe it has to be more direct. Like hungry, go buy popcorn at the front at, at the concession stand now. Right. You know? Yeah. Because then your brain would obey that command. Interesting. Rather than a roundabout command that's the result of something you have to do, telling you to go do that thing. Maybe that would work. So you're leaving the door open for this, for further testing. I, I could see it. Yeah. Subliminal, below the lemon or lemon. Which is the threshold of our conscious awareness. Uh, yeah. It looks like Lyman when by itself. That's what's in Sprite. But if you said subliminal, then somebody would just punch you upside the head. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Where are we now? Uh, we are on the idea that brain damage is always permanent. I didn't know that this was a thing. I didn't know that people uh, said that. Sure. I never heard that. Well, I think the point of it is, is you know, that the brain can't repair itself once it's damaged. And that's absolutely not true. No, it's the, not true. The brain is extremely uh, resilient. It's, and it's so much so that there's this thing called plasticity. Yeah. Um, which is, it kind of ties into that idea that you get a new wrinkle when you learn something. Right. That's not true. But your brain can rewire itself. That's how you learn and unlearn behaviors through brain plasticity. Yeah. So I guess there's some truth in that neurons, once they are damaged, they cannot grow back. Right. But thanks to plasticity that will make new neural connections uh-huh. in sometimes surprising ways, which is why if you've had a stroke and damaged part of your brain, you can relearn to speak, perhaps, if you've lost that ability right. by forging these new connections. There's a girl out there um, who has only one hemisphere of her brain. That's it. Born that way? I don't remember if she was born that way or if it was the result of surgery or damage or something, but she's got half of a brain. Her brain has just one hemisphere, and she has binocular vision. She can see out of both eyes, which they had no idea how that was going on. And they finally went in and looked, uh-huh. I guess using an MRI, and they found that her optic nerve uh, that should be connected to the missing hemisphere had basically grow- had grown to go patch into wow. another part of her brain on the other side. <laughs> and it basically hijacked this other part of her brain and was using it for sight. That is unbelievable. That's the brain. I wonder what you lose, though. I wonder if it, it forges a connection and at the expense of another. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, could she be like, man, I can see through both eyes, but I can't tie my shoe any longer. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. It's possible. Interesting. But, I mean, the brain would would say, well, it's better you can see. Somebody else can tie your shoes. Well, that makes me wonder, though. I wonder if there's a an, an order to it all. Like, if the brain knows what's more important. Yes. There is, as a matter of fact. And oh, yeah? this ties into that idea that you only use 10% of your brain. Wow. All right, let's hear it. Well, that's not true, by the way. We it's should a, go ahead it's and spoil a myth. that. It's a myth. Right. And actually, that one has a pretty interesting origin, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, they're not quite sure where it came from. Um, it seems like it's always been around, though, the notion that you only, only use 10% of your brain. Yeah. But um, they think it may have come from uh, uh, American psychologist William James in the early 1900s when he said, the average person rarely achieves but a small portion of his or her potential. Right. And that was just sort of twisted into 10% of your brain yeah. is used. And people 
you know, you see people taking advantage of this notion all the time with self-help books like tap into the other 90%, mm-hmm. and it's just bunk. Right. And this is where it ties in. It is bunk in that all regions, all physical regions of your brain are being used. Yes. But there's a theory that's around for savantism uh-huh. that explains savantism, which I want to do someday. Yeah. We need to write the article on it. But We've covered it a lot be, in different areas. It's but so fascinating. Totally. There's, there's a theory right now that savantism is from the result of like brain damage. Uh-huh. What, what savantism is is the result of the brain's tyranny of the frontal lobe is what it's called. Really? And basically the idea is, is that your frontal lobe decides what's important uh-huh. and it bosses around all the other regions of your brain I see, I could see to, that. to carry out this very smooth, efficient, streamlined process that basically it decides is the most important. Huh. And in doing so, it casts to the side a lot of other stuff like the ability to make great art. Right. Or the ability to count a bunch of matches that just fell on the floor, whatever. Yeah. And that savantism is the result of this executive function, this tyranny of the frontal cortex being disrupted. Yeah. So that maybe you aren't just the most efficient shark in the uh, tank right. any longer, and you're not out there and like going, 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 and like trying to compete and beat everybody else. Uh-huh. But uh, there's all these other things that are now free to just kind of blossom, like artistic, deep, amazing artistic Interesting. abilities. Wow. Yeah, that's that's the theory. Boy, and we're just now learning this stuff. But it suggests that maybe we do yeah. only use a, a portion of our abilities, not physical. Like we're using 100% of the physical parts of our brain, but what we're using it for is that issue. Oh, uh, yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So there's definitely something to that. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I, I trip out on the brain a lot. Like when I'm studying it for the podcast, mm-hmm. I'll get sidetracked. Like this morning I was reading this article and I just had one of those little flights of fancy where it amazed me that I was looking at these printed shapes on a paper that formed words into sentences that I understood and had meaning. And I just was amazed by the brain just laying in bed this morning. I was like, my God. That's I, nice. Like I'm reading these words that make sense and I'm speaking words that have a symbol form on a paper. And I, I promise you I wasn't on LSD right. <laughs> this morning. But I just had one of those moments where it just like totally amazed me that I was even able to read. That's awesome. Yeah. So the brain basically made you impressed with itself. Yes, <laughs> it did. And while you mentioned LSD, we, I guess we can say in passing, uh, apparently drugs do not create holes in your brain. That is not true. Um, and there's a lot of uh, back and forth over how much damage drugs do to your brain at all, mm-hmm. uh, how repairable that damage is. And there are studies going all, on all, all, the, all the time about long-term drug use and uh, the results. One of them, interestingly, found that they think that some long-term use of some drugs can cause structures in the brain to grow. Yeah. And that is why addicts may have a hard time kicking the habit. Yeah. Because they've grown a certain part of their brain, I guess, to Your rewards depend are on that. Yeah. Your limbic system is strengthened through it's that. very interesting. Yeah. And uh, alcohol... Um, does not kill brain cells. It damages the dendrites that we've talked about. Yeah. And those are the uh, the ends of the neurons where the connections are taking place, I guess. Right. So it, it makes your, yeah. your neurons talk <laughs> sideways to one another. Yeah, like the brain cells are still there, but they just can't talk They're to like, one another. They're like, I love you, pal. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, there's something, a neurological disorder called uh, Wernicke-Korsakoff uh, syndrome. And that is uh, can result in a loss of neurons in the brain. 
But that's basically what I think of when I think someone has like pickled themselves. Right. With alcohol. But that's, that's kind of what's going on. There. It's actually not the alcohol that's killing brain cells. It's from right. a, it's from a, um, uh, a deficiency in thiamine. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah. So if, if you have a thiamine de- deficiency, you can get this Wernicke Korsakoff syndrome and, um, it, it, that's a B vitamin. Yeah. And if you are an alcoholic, you typically aren't absorbing your, your thiamine like you would if you weren't an alcoholic, which is why it's associated with alcoholism, but it's not alcohol killing brain cells. Right. And it's much easier for me just to say they've pickled themselves right. on, <laughs> on booze, which yeah. is really sad. We're laughing, but it is, it is super sad. Uh, yes, it is. If you've ever met anyone that was pickled. Well, yeah. In years of alcohol abuse. Any addict suffering as a result of their addiction is extremely sad. It is. So that's all I got. How many was that? Uh, seven-ish, eight-ish. Six and a half. Something like that. <laughs> um, if you want to learn the fate of the other remaining brain myths from this top ten list, type in uh, brain myths in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, and it will bring this article up. And actually, we sort of t- had the issue with one of them we left off was the decapitation. Uh-huh. They said it was a myth, I guess. I didn't even read it. Kind of. But didn't we say it was... No, they true. even they even yeah. say in there like, yeah, it's going to last for a couple of seconds or whatever, like which is what we said in the, in right. the podcast. But for some reason, they they made that seem like, but that's nothing, right? But then they said that it's a, an extremely painful way to die because you are conscious afterward. It was it was kind of a cluster, mixed messages. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I, I said search bars means it's time for listener mail. Yes, I'm going to call this. Uh, <laughs> Uh, poop, poopy time. We did our, our uh, podcast on fecal transplants, and we've had all manner of poopy emails coming in. And I'm going to share one from Jacob Carnes. Uh, hi, Josh, Chuck, and Jerry. And he spelled Jerry right. I just finished the fecal transplant podcast and felt compelled to write in after you mentioned the norovirus, which I was afflicted with about two weeks ago. Didn't last long, just about 24 hours, but it hit instantly like someone flipped a switch. I will spare you the details but it was nearly the worst I've ever felt. The day after was nearly the best I have ever felt due to the euphoria of still being alive, but for the following week, my gut felt like it just wasn't right. My hunch is that it was uh, really messed with the internal flora. He needs some kombucha. What's that? Oh, it's this, um, it's this like fermented, basically like probiotic drink. Oh, yeah? That's, um, I guess it's Eastern. It's really delicious. There's some good, delicious kombucha drinks out there, and it supposedly promotes um, colonization in your gut. You drinking that stuff? I love it. Yeah? Yeah. Where you get it? Uh, Whole Foods has this kind. It's called GT's, uh-huh. and uh, they have a specific flavor called Gingerade that's just it's so good. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. All right. Uh, he follows up to say, and this is my favorite part. Uh, like I said, I felt compelled to write after you mentioned the norovirus, but I felt obligated after you brought up the terror of your young selves experience uh, when you had the misfortune of using the bathroom after your father's. Remember that? (laughs) Old man poop? Yeah. Uh, When I was a child, my father liked to enjoy a cigarette while doing his business. (laughs) So so 70s. It is very 70s. So when I heard the call uh, shortly after him, I was subjected to the putrid number two smell mixed with the stale cigarette smoke. Mm. And to this day, I have trouble separating the latter from the former. As I grew up, the need to look cool convinced me to try and take up the habit of smoking. To look cool on the toilet. <laughs> numerous times. Uh, but my childhood association has at least helped me come to my senses. So he never learned to smoke because he associated it with his dad's poop. 
That's good. Whatever works. Yeah. Uh, thanks for another great podcast, guys. Jacob Carnes. Yeah, I guess for all of you smoking out there, like... Take it to the toilet. See what happens. Take a big whiff of poop <laughs> while you're smoking a cigarette, and that'll probably break you of your habit. Boo. Mixing disgust with anything will <laughs> will break you of habits, right? Yeah. Um, if you have a, uh, a habit-breaking tip, bad habit-breaking tip, uh, we want to hear it because that's a demonstration of brain plasticity, as you know. Uh, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at discovery.com, and you can join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places.